From the Freedom HealthWorks Network, this is Healthcare Americana. Joining us on today's episode is Phil Berry, founder and CEO of Northwind Pharmaceuticals. We're seeing big players nationally starting to take this DPC model and its derivatives to the market in very, very interesting ways. You're basically, you're coming up with a system that's going to be kind of two-tiered. Depending on where the next election cycle goes, could set things in motion for for decades. And we're going to have some big decisions to make in the years to come with that. But for, for those of us who are on the edge of trying to save money, disintermediate, be creative uh, to, to help patients and help the groups that are paying for them, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for years to come. And now, here's your Healthcare Americana host, Christopher Habig. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Healthcare Americana, the podcast that explores what healthcare really means. I'm your host, Christopher Habig, and with me today is Phil Berry, founder and CEO of Northwind Pharmaceuticals. Nice to have you. Chris, good to be here. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the pharmaceutical industry. And you've had an incredible career so far. You've been active in entrepreneurial activities within IT, real estate. You've rehabbed factories and and put them back on the market. (laughs) You've been active in sales, business development, uh, and now pharmaceuticals, as well as a fairly accomplished author. How do you find time to do all that? You know, I read the other day that it's um, you we all have the same amount of time, right? And it's just about what we choose to do with it. So for me, I try to live the things that are meaningful and purposeful. So uh, it's taken me a long time to get there, but I'm actually at a place where I'm doing the things that I enjoy. And it it all kind of revolves around the things that you, you just described. So it's it's part and parcel to just how I live. You didn't mention the grandchildren or the kids in there, but uh, those are all part of the things that, that bring me joy. And a very devout family, man. There we go. We, we should not leave that out. So always I apologize. A, always there. a family man, yes. Um, recently, you've been publishing a lot of articles um, under your own website, philberry.com, and also on LinkedIn to go along with the books that you've written. Um, but you call it more of an audio blog, differentiating a little bit between a podcast focused on a lot of, for lack of a better term, leadership decisions, how people make decisions, management, um, skills, management, um, shortfalls. Uh, what has been your inspiration for that to really tackle that leadership management category? You know, I would classify what I write about as being a, a pathway to being your best self. And the reason it kind of came about was more like notes to myself. So my, my journey as an entrepreneur, as a professional, it's really been trying to figure out, all right, what are the mistakes I've made? What are the things I need to keep reminding myself? And do those things possibly have value to other people? And so often what you see out there that something I wrote or read or, or described was kind of like a little mental note to self. All right, here's what I did. Here's what I dealt with. And here's what I want to remind myself of. And if someone else finds some value in that, then, then that's awesome. Well, that's really cool. So the things that you've learned along the way, you're able to put out there. And like you said, if it helps somebody, then awesome. Yeah. And there's no shortage of inspiration. I mean, sure. uh, we make mistakes every day. Uh, we, we run into people that expose us to things every day. Uh, I, I get a lot of inspiration off of what I read or listen to, a post or, or something that just kind of triggers a thought. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it's just, okay, here's the thought on that. And here's maybe my, either my reaction, my response, or my, my perspective on it. 
Right. No, it's absolutely fascinating. And it's something that's really, really needed is that sane voice. It's not just somebody raising it, raising their hand, jumping up and down saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. I have a bunch of advice out there. I'm putting a bunch of noise out there. But it's real uh, information, real, real experiences that you have had that could really help other people. I mentioned that and ask you about it because we see this a lot with indirect primary care of physicians who are fed up with the system, with patients who have had terrible experiences. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And so now we're starting to see this wave of physicians leave employed medicine, go into independent practice, but yet there's an average of five hours of business school, business ideas taught throughout an average physician's educational career. Once they get out of school, it's even less. So a lot of these principles, a lot of the things that you talk about are very, very true. And, and these are experiences a lot of these physicians have because now when, they're having, when they have to set up their own practice, they're almost by themselves. So my question to you would be, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's just starting a new business, whether it's a medical practice, whether it's something else, some other type of benefit to society, and they're scared, they, they keep using the term, it's a leap of faith, what do I do? How do I do this? What do you tell them? Well, that's, you, you wrapped a lot up in, <laughs> in that little piece. You know, physicians, medical practitioners, um, you have highly trained experts mm-hmm. who are trained to, to help us be better. Very, very intelligent, um, a lot of schooling, a lot of structure. And then when you break out into this world of, of business, so it's, it's, it's this whole open field. It's the exact opposite. The structure is not there, other than regulatory structure. Right. Um, so, so they're trying to marry all these skills and put it up against a totally unstructured world. It's, it can be really overwhelming. It's one of the values, I think, of what your organization does. It's, it's really putting structure around a world that tends to be unstructured. We go out and we try to figure these things out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can put things in a spreadsheet or in a, 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 a QuickBooks or something to track. But when it comes down to really thinking about how do I grow my business, how do I deal with staff, how do I recruit staff, how do I recruit patients, those are very unstructured things. There's techniques for that, mm-hmm. but it's a whole new world relative to how do I help someone heal. Exactly. And it's a different, very different approach. I, m- my entrepreneurial journey, many ways, um, I, I describe what you, what you just described as kind of throwing yourself against the rocks. So a lot of times, you know, when my career, when I wanted to kind of break out from, from actually working uh, in the, you know, the nine to five job type of thing, um, I thought for years and years about how I do that. Business plans, different ideas, how do I build a better mousetrap, whatever it is. And that's the period of my life that I call throwing myself against the rocks, where I kept kind of beating my head against doing the same things. I got to earn a living. Mm-hmm. I got to pay the rent, all those things. But how do I get over here to what I think I should be doing? And I imagine uh, the physicians and, and anyone else who goes out in their own venture, they've got the same, same threshold they have to cross, that leap of faith that you describe. And it's about finding a pathway and, and then believing in that and then seeing, seeing a way to get there, mm-hmm. uh, even though it may not be direct. It's almost that, that vision that you hear about. I think the word vision's tossed around kind of willy-nilly these days, but a true vision for somebody who is going to leave the comfort zone, the safety net, like you mentioned. I got rent payments. I got you know kids going to school. I have all this stuff, but yet I have the same amount of time as anybody else in the day. Mm-hmm. How do I get there? How do I make my life as perfect as it possibly can? And that's a real battle for, for a lot of people. 
And that's where, you know, a lot of these direct primary care journeys start. But once they are up into practice, I just want everybody to know that it's not so much a leap of faith. It's, it's a carefully orchestrated step, almost choreographed to get up and going and to reach that vision. Now, I mentioned that because your current venture, Northwind Pharmaceuticals, works very closely with direct primary care physicians in one of the key pain point areas that we experience in the healthcare industry, and that is with pharmaceuticals. So tell us a little bit about your company, how you got in there based on your diverse background. Where did this idea come from? You know, my path actually led me here quite indirectly. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a pharmacist by training. I graduated from Butler, but I did not uh, get ever too close to the pharmacy school, although I did have some friends. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law are pharmacists. I know a lot of pharmacists, but it's not my thing. Um, well, it is kind of my thing now, but it's not wasn't my thing. So I, um, early in the early two thousands, I actually got involved with a venture, a Roche venture called MyDoc.com, and MyDoc was a was a bleeding edge telemedicine solution. We we basically married a physician with a patient with this triage tool, and then could actually affect a script, a prescription at the end of that encounter um, for certain things. So it was it was all virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, it was ahead of its time, probably 10 or 12 years. And I actually helped um, sell that to a group that was rolling up long-term care pharmacies, mail-order pharmacies, uh, pharmaceutical operations here in Indianapolis called U.S. Health Services. That got me exposed to the pharma world. And I actually had an opportunity to, to buy out one of the assets of mm. that group that was focused on pharmaceutical distribution and specialized in what we call point-of-care dispensing, in-office dispensing. And that took us off and running. Wow. Yeah. In-office dispensing is one of the hottest trends within drug primary care, concierge medicine. I'll let you talk to it. So what does in-office dispensing really mean? So in-office dispensing is basically taking a prepackaged medication and handing it to a patient. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the world of pharmacy, everyone's, everyone confuses us, that part of our business with pharmacy quite frequently. So pharmacy... Mm-hmm. Basically, is where you go to a location, they open a bottle, they count out pills, a pharmacist reviews that, says that's good, they put a patient label on it, and they hand it to the patient. In-office dispensing is really eliminating that pharmacy step because uh, medical practitioners, state by state, are licensed to actually dispense medications. So what we do is we prepackage them in an FDA facility, seal it, label it, we send it out to the to the practice, and then we provide a uh, software solution that helps track inventory, prints the labels, reorders it, puts puts kind of the compliance pieces around it. And then the the staff, the, the physician, can actually label that with the patient's name and hand it to the patient at the point of care. And patient walks out. They do not have another stop. They have it, convenient, easy to use, and cost-effective. So it's a great, uh, it's a great tool. Now, the, the interesting thing about in-office dispensing It's been around for many years, and if you think about physicians, that was kind of the the original. You know, walking around with a black bag, home home visits. Oh yeah, drugs in the bag, stethoscope around their neck. Yes. So so now we have a lot more regulation around it, more controls and and limitations with it. But but it's been there for a long time. The interesting thing about it is it's convenient for patients. It improves compliance, meaning Mm -hmm. one of the big problems with medications. um, They say the most expensive medication is the one the patient doesn't take mm-hmm. or get filled. Right. And so a lot of prescriptions are not filled because of access cost or just, I'm not 
Ghana uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So you address those two. Well, another thing about it, and it's, it's really relevant for, for a direct primary care practice, is that medications help drive utilization. They're a draw. So if you're talking about a way to provide value, generally in our day and age, most patient encounters, the expectation is there's going to be some sort of prescription involved in that. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we, we won't go into any discussions around all the where what force right, of that right. particular statement. But when a patient comes in, many, 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 many times, they're walking out of a clinic with a prescription. And so this, this enables that physician to basically give a turnkey solution uh, and solve uh, a patient expectation and a problem all at the point of care. It's it's really a revolution, uh, in my opinion, and for a lot of our clients that work with Freedom Health Works, to have, like you said, cut out so many steps and increase compliance. Nothing is more frustrating to a physician than beating a patient over the head saying, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, and they don't do it. Very true. I mean, that trickles down to the patient's health, the patient's family, the physician's morale, the office morale, everything happens when somebody is just refusing to get better and help themselves out. This in-office suspensing seems like it can really take a big step to fixing those problems. You mentioned cost and how it's more economical. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, cost is a very broad spectrum. So we're typically talking in, in office, we're typically talking about generic medications very common items. So antibiotics, analgesics, cough and cold, you know, the, the, the basics. And though many of those products have been around for years and years, and they're, they're a few dollars a bottle, a few dollars a course of therapy. Think of your $4 meds at a, a Walmart or something like that. So what we do is we enable the, the practice to basically, and, and I don't want to say compete because it's really not about competing with a Walmart. That's really not what the model is. Sure. But it's, these aren't expensive products. And so we can, we can enable a practice to be able to provide those to a patient cost effectively. And whether we're fitting within a copay or some band of cost, uh, it's, it's not a big cost. And the convenience factor on that, whether you're charging $5 or, or $15 or $20, it's such a value to the patient that uh, not having to make another stop if you've got uh, sick children with you, uh, you know, the mom uh, scenario where I've got the ear infection and I now have to go to a pharmacy, I have to wait, or I'm going to go into a store, wait for my script to be filled, and I'm going to spend another $200 on whatever else I'm picking up while I'm waiting for the script to be filled. Right. The convenience factor is a major, major part of it. And you're corralling all the other kids and, and they're yes, going nuts. And and just hope kids. they don't get sick too. And yeah, yes, yeah, et cetera, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that, you know, not going to hammer you on any type of prices or anything like that, but significantly cheaper than walking into any type of retail pharmacy to get these type of scripts filled. So if usually, you, if you yeah. think about our, our place in the market, what we position ourselves is we, we're a wholesaler. On the distribution side, when we put a medication into to a clinic, we, we're wholesaling that medication, and you're cutting out a lot of layers within that. You're cutting out the, the benefits chain, typically, because these are cash pay situations. So you don't have a pharmacy benefit manager taking their cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're cutting out a retail pharmacy who has to take their cut. You're, you're taking several layers out. And so that presents a real opportunity for the, for the patient to get that med less expensively than they would if they actually went in and paid a copay and dealt with something coming through. The cutting benefits. out the middleman. Cutting it seems out to be a theme here. 
there is a trend about this type that. of medicine, yes. right? Yes, there is yeah. a trend towards disintermediation, I think is the, the fancy word for that. But yeah, there's... I like that. I might have to borrow that. Yeah, you're welcome to have that one, actually. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely fascinating trends. Um, let's talk a little bit about the traction that you've seen. You've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Where's your company? Where'd you guys start? Where's the growth pattern? Where's the future growth going to happen? Uh, and talk about all the cool things that you guys are trying to do. Yeah, so our... Uh, our business, when I bought it out in 2008, I basically was myself and I brought one employee with me. Um, it was one of those, all right, there's there's something here and I hope we can make the mortgage payment next month. <laughs> um, so, uh, But it was a running start. So we jumped into it and we went after that. What we realized over the years, because the businesses we were in originally were student health, independent physicians, primary care type of practices that would have a, some meds on site or... Mm-hmm. Um, we actually used to have some prison and jail business where we would support medications into those types of facilities. What we kind of really focused in on probably about six years ago, we got into what we call worksite uh, employer health, where we were providing medications directly to on-site or near-site clinics supporting a, a, an employer, employee population for a specific employer. And what we've seen as we've grown and today, so we've gone from that one to we're just at about 50 employees today. Uh, We have a 27,000 square foot facility here in Indianapolis. That's actually a renovated Catholic church and school, one Mm -hmm. of our pride and joy uh, projects. And then we've got another 15,000 square foot facility in upstate New York that actually where we do our packaging. So in Indianapolis, we have our distribution center and we have our home delivery pharmacy. And what we've done is we've built out a platform that enables um, our clinic customers to service their patients and then follow up with a direct-to-home solution for medications. And that's worked really well with employer and worksite-focused clinics. Mm-hmm. And on the DPC side, we've seen a lot of success with clinics driving their own utilization, their own service around a market where a lot of people don't have benefits uh, they have limited benefits. They have high copays, high deductible plans. Um, this solution has really been a great fit for helping groups or helping patients get services that are getting more and more difficult if they're not in a, either an employer-paid plan or on some sort of government-funded plan. And there's a there's a big gap quite often in between those. So mm-hmm. so we've grown with that, and as we've grown, the markets kind of continue to validate that model, and it comes back to that disintermediation thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically employers are saying our costs are jumping. How do we address this? Patients are saying our costs are jumping. How do we address this? The government says, well, we'd really like to own all of it or tell you what that cost should be. And there's, there's, a, there's an argument about that. Sure. And so what we're saying is, is we can deliver these, these products less expensively than what it's done, what is done traditionally. And the market is responding well to that. And and I see DPCs as well who are who are doing a blended model where they're actually going out and they're getting blocks of patients in and servicing self-funded employer groups, mm-hmm. um, which is a very very effective model, uh, particularly down in the I'd say the three to five hundred employee range, right. um, because that's that's harder to service. You can't really do a direct on-site with that size of group. So DPCs are getting some success with that. And then we also see it with a, with the general patient population. I think your dad's a great example of that, where you see this almost a concierge medicine type of approach where people are saying, I want a different level of service. I want a different approach to how my costs are managed. I want to have a different relationship where I'm getting, I get more time with my physician. We're not driven by getting 100 visits a day or whatever the number may be. There's just a real, real trend that I think the DPC model fits into very, very nicely. 
Yeah, and obviously I totally agree. And one thing I think you can add on that is the education that can happen in the exam room too. This is why when you walk out of here, I'm going to hand you your meds. Yes. And this is why that's important. This is why you need to take them. So kind of going back to that compliance aspect of oh, it's, it. It's huge. And next month, you don't need to come see me because these are going to show up at your door. Yes. And by the way, you're going to save a lot of money. You're going to save a lot of headache here. We hear stories a lot that people say, you know what? I'm not going to pay cash for these right here at the doctor's office. I'm going to go to the local pharmacy and see what it is. Uh, see what they cost because I have a copay or whatever that is. And oftentimes they come back and say, wow, this was cheaper to buy it for my physician here than it was to go down the street, have another stop, all kinds of opportunity costs blended in with that. And they say it was even more expensive than what my insurance could do. Which is bizarre to think about. But the, and I won't go off the deep end on what the, the whole PBM and insurance model is, but it's basically a, it's a game and Mm -hmm. they, they try to loss lead some things and then and then make their money on other things, and uh, it's because you've got this big middle uh, structure that's managing how the the funds are managed. It's managing how the who who gets what type of meds, right. what's on formulary, all that sort of thing. So when you take some of that complexity out, some of the cost goes out with it. Does it feel like there's been more of a spotlight on your industry compared to, let's say, the boogeyman in the physicians' world is always the hospitals? I feel like there's been more of a spotlight on how do we reduce costs? These pharmaceutical guys, they're the real enemy here. Right. How are you responding to that? Um, So everybody wants to beat up drug companies for Mm -hmm. outrageous, what seem like outrageously priced medications. Right. I think there's a lot of views on that. I'm I'm absolutely, I don't think it's a good idea to have the government saying, here's where we're going to make you charge. And I think there's, that's a slippery slope, but I know it's, it's politically expedient and popular but it's problematic. The, the real issue for us is we have artificial markets built around limitations that have been put in different places. So it's not a true market economy. We have different things right. that, are, that are twisting and warping it. All that, all that aside. But it has, yeah. it has put a lot of spotlight on it. And part of the problem is, is there's a lot of grabbing hands that make their living off of these products and services. And, and that, that's probably more of it than anything else. There's a lot of money involved. If you sure. think of a, if you think of a CVS, who's sixty percent of their revenue. So this is a very, very large, multi-billion-dollar organization. Sixty percent of their revenue is attached to their pharmacy benefit management business line. That tells you how significant it is. That business line, all it does is match. Basically, it adjudicates claims and it funnels dollars and it sets contract prices. Wow, sixty percent. So. That kind of tells you where a lot of that's there's a lot in the system that it's it's supporting now now that supports jobs and people are employed I mean there's a lot of other things in sure, that sure but it's kind of a question of okay who do I want holding that money what do I want to hold that money or do I want somebody else to hold that money and that's that's really what the discussion's about yeah and it's fascinating because that makes it very resistant to change and improvement oh, yeah. and innovation there's a lot of forward. people vested in that sixty percent staying right where it is. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you guys go from here? So for us, the interesting thing for us is we, we kind of came at it from bottom up, I guess, if you will. Um, I was actually with a, uh, in a broker conversation earlier this week because we're starting to actually present our services to that traditional channel and saying, how can we help more clients with what, because we basically, our model is we have a drug, we make a bit of margin on it and that's the price. And her response was, wait, you can tell me what the price is going to be? <laughs> what a I novel said, concept. I said, yes, I will. And I'll hold that price. 
And that seemed to be a really big deal, which blows my mind. So where we're going is, as we continue to see more happening in this employer health space, we're doubling year over year. I mean, it's it's actually been a very, very interesting ride in the last 24 months. We opened our pharmacy, our closed door pharmacy three years ago now. But over the last 18 months, we've really watched it explode. And what it's done is it's taken us into a, a bigger end of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing larger groups. Uh, we're, we're actually playing more, uh, moving up the, the spectrum a bit to a more of a what looks kind of like a benefit, but we're trying to stay out of the benefits. Right. Because we just have basically a, a model that says, here's the price, and there it is. And right. now it's layering services on. So from a pharmacy perspective, it's bringing in compliance packaging, which is kind of like the, the unit dose packages you see that are kind of gaining some popularity. Um, it's bringing in extra services, therapeutic interchange, which be which would be basically trying to help people identify more cost-effective ways, less expensive ways of getting the same drug. So if drug X cost me this, how, what else could I take that would be equivalent? Sure. Um, so it's it's those sorts of services we're layering in there. It's working more with groups like your clients and, and finding ways to help them better serve their patients uh, with creative solutions. Mm-hmm all the while trying to manage that cost to a point that seems reasonable. I think we're going to see more and more, and we're seeing big players nationally starting to take this DPC model and its derivatives um, to the market in very, very interesting ways. I I see that continuing for years to come because you're you're basically, you're coming up with a system that's going to be kind of two-tiered, depending on where the next election cycle goes, could set things in motion for for decades, Mm -hmm. where you essentially could have the market that is, going to government-driven facilities, which is currently our biggest payer anyways. And you have the other side where the rest of us are finding ways to pay for it. Employers are paying for it, or we're going into a free market type of approach with a DPC or or whatever model that evolves to, to get our our care. Mm -hmm. And this kind of split approach, you see it in other countries in a a major way that's government-run or where in the in South America, it's where the wealthy go and it's where everybody else goes. Right. Um, and we're, we're going to have some big decisions to make in the years to come with that. But for, for those of us who are on the edge of trying to save money, disintermediate, be creative uh, to, to help patients and help the groups that are paying for them, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for years to come. Right, especially with the transparency movement, with cutting out a lot of the middlemen. It might anger some people, but... In my opinion, and, and let me know if you share this opinion, it's going to help out a lot more people than it's going to upset as we continue to move forward and try to find fixes for the current, what ails the current healthcare industry. Sorry, I always say, it, I want to say system, but it's, yeah, it's an industry. It is an, it is an it's, 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 it's a, a machine. Business. Like it's you said, a, yes. a, it is a, is a machine, is an it absolute is. business. I yeah. think you're right. I think, I think we'll see some of that shift. Um, I think we'll see continued pressure downward on pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll see new models. People will be coming up with creative ways to address it and try to move the dial on that cost. And I think it presents a lot of opportunities. The beautiful thing about the United States is that we can still, even with all the regulatory limitations and all this other structure in place, there's still opportunity to come in and either disrupt it or be creative within it. And uh, that, that presents good things for consumers. It presents good things for the payers, and it presents good things for those of us who are creative in that approach. So uh, I'm, I remain bullish on what that opportunity will be for all of us. Good to hear. Phil Berry, CEO and founder of Northman Pharmaceuticals. And before we go, how do people find out more information about Northman Pharmaceuticals? Uh, your best bet is to go online to www.nwpharma.com. Check us out. Give us a call and um, let us know how we can help. There you go. 
Phil Berry, CEO and founder of Northman Pharmaceuticals. Thanks for joining us today. An absolute pleasure talking to you. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks for tuning in to Healthcare Americana. For more information on direct primary care, always welcome to visit freedomhealthworks.com. For all of our listeners out there, don't forget to rate our show and subscribe on all the platforms that you listen to. Thank you much. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podchaser, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends and colleagues to download and listen to all Healthcare Americana shows at freedomhealthworks.com. 